God's good book says, you will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you and all the trees of the fields will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper and instead of the briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will last forever. God's good book says, when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. morning, Fellowship Church, friends and guests, we gather this morning to worship God, who we soon celebrate as taking on flesh at Christmas time. We are eager to celebrate this morning. We do so with a plethora of instruments and musicians to celebrate the goodness of God. We invite you to stand and we will join in worship together.
Wow, thank you team, God be praised. Friends, today is Advent 4, the fourth Sunday of Advent, and the image of the day today is a gift representative of us giving our best gifts to God, particularly because God has gone first and already given the best gift of all in his son, Jesus the Christ. On that theme, I invite you to join me in prayer. O oh Lord, our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, on this, the fourth Sunday of Advent, our anticipation grows, and we are eager to celebrate with joy Emmanuel, God with us. Today, we admit that by choice or by accident, we often end up celebrating less wonderful things in life. We love getting gifts or getting our way or getting praised at work or school. But the best thing of all to celebrate is not us or our stuff, but you, O oh God, God among us. So this Christmas, we celebrate with joy and give gifts because you have already given the best gift of all. Please, O oh God, make us ready to celebrate with joy the very things that matter most this Christmas time. And all God's people said, amen. Why do we give gifts at Christmas time? Because God gave the best gift first. And the wise men gave gifts when they finally found the Christ child. Yeah, they gave weird gifts. Frankincense, frankincense gold, and myrrh. I prefer a gift card. <laughs> what really matters is joy. Giving gifts is joyful. Receiving gifts is joyful. In fact, all of it is from deep joy and for deep joy. Well, for the record, I'm okay with presents. We, we know. We got, got you a robe. <laughs> Let's remember together. We lit the first candle of Advent to symbolize the hope of being invited from afar. And we lit the second candle of Advent to symbolize the love that is found by seeking and asking. We lit the third candle of Advent to symbolize the peace that comes by trusting God's promises. And today, we light the final candle of Advent to symbolize the joy of celebrating the Christ child. But I don't feel joyful yet. Yeah, we haven't opened our presents. It's not Christmas yet. Yeah, but I'm excited, and we're getting closer. Less wandering and more celebrating. Soon. Gifts are a symbol of joyful worship of Jesus. What gift do you offer Jesus on this journey, even while we wait for him to come once again? Who do you want to invite to come along? God invites all of us. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. Seek, Seek the, the Lord while he may be found. found. Call, Call on him while he is near. near. Fellow wanderers, the journey continues.
People of God, Jesus Christ, whose advent we announce in this season, is the king that the prophets foretold and the wise men sought and found. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. The peace of Christ be with you. I invite you as you are comfortable to share a sign of that peace with your neighbor. Well, good morning, Fellowship Church. After that music, you can't give me just a little side good morning. Good morning, Fellowship Church. Morning. There we go. Wasn't that awesome? Hip, hip, hooray. Cheers to God. Uh, we are grateful to be in worship together with you. My name is Nate Skipper, and I'm one of the pastors here at Fellowship, where our mission is to love God and others as an accepting community centered in Christ and focused on developing faithful followers of Jesus. If you are new or if you're visiting with us this morning, welcome. We are glad that you're here. If you can't tell by now, we have been wandering through Advent We've with our little wise guys who are hidden throughout the sanctuary, and some of our people in our congregation have been uh, playing along at home. I want you to check out a little video, and while uh, that video is getting ready, you should look for the wise guys that are around here somewhere. Hey, do you love stars? I sure love stars. We saw his star. And now we're on a search for the king. So join us. Are you guys ready to find the wise men? Yes. I'm a hunt. Deck the halls with bows of holly. What is this? <laughs> Beware. <laughs> I'll find those guys.
two. Did you find them all yet? One more, I'll find him. <laughs> Number three. Beware everyone. They can be anywhere. Fun. If you still would like to get on the action, there are a couple kits left at the Welcome Center. We'd uh, love to have you join us. If you uh, haven't heard yet, we're going to have some awesome Christmas Eve services this coming weekend. Uh, there's a little postcard out in the back. I'd love to have you grab one, invite your friends, uh, and it also gives you some information if you need it on when our Christmas Eve services are on Saturday night uh, at 4.30, 6, and 11, and then we'll be here uh, for worship on Christmas Day. How fun is that on Sunday uh, at 9.30 in the morning? As you've heard multiple times throughout the service, uh, as we celebrated uh, the gift that God has given us in his son, Jesus, we also respond uh, by giving gifts. And one way in which you can do that is uh, by financially supporting the ministry that God is doing here at Fellowship through the offering bowls at the back of the sanctuary uh, or by giving online. The kids uh, as are dismissed at this time, uh, ages three through fifth grade, while the rest of us prepare our hearts uh, for the word to be preached this morning.
Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so eternally grateful for our Messiah and for the salvation that he wrought and for the impact of that salvation on our lives today and into eternity. And so this morning as we gather, we worship, we adore, we celebrate. This morning we offer ourselves and our hearts. And Lord, we pray that you would open those hearts, that you would open those minds, that you would help us to see you more clearly and hear you more clearly and to celebrate you more joyfully and to share you more fervently. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. Good morning, fellowship. My name is Tiara. I am one of the pastors here. Ooh, that moves. If, if I have not yet met you. Um, and I am excited to hop into week four of a series that we've been doing for the last several weeks, um, the God's Great Invitation and the Wandering Wise Men. Uh, over the course of this series, we have been looking um, specifically at Isaiah 55 and Matthew chapter two, uh, not only looking for the invitation that God has for our world, but also looking for the invitation that our God has for us. And we believe that if we look at those texts long enough, that we might actually begin to discern that invitation, uh, God's invitation directly to each and every one of us. Uh, Siri is not letting me in my iPad. There you go. Okay. <laughs> Tech problems. Uh, so uh, today is also the last Sunday before Christmas. Uh, the Christmas playlists have been on repeat probably for some of you for the last several weeks. Uh, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is number one on the Billboard charts for the fourth Christmas in a row. Uh, John McClain is safely nestled into an air duct near you. Uh, the gingerbread houses are built um, the halls are decked and the Christmas presents are wrapped. The Christmas presents are wrapped and nestled under the tree. Uh, I don't know about you, but I love giving gifts. Um, how many of you love giving gifts? Love giving gifts. How many of you love receiving gifts? Maybe a little more than you like giving. Yeah. <laughs> um, so giving gifts is one of my love languages, if people even still use the language of love languages. Um, but whether you love giving gifts or receiving gifts, I think we all love a really great gift. Uh, do you remember your favorite Christmas gift when you were a kid? Maybe something you wanted as a kid, or maybe, maybe something that's on your list right now. Uh, for me, when I was six, it was a Barbie Corvette. Um, I really wanted, like the one that you could actually drive, uh, the Barbie Corvette. Um, I really wanted one. I didn't even like Barbie dolls. I didn't know why Santa kept bringing me Barbie dolls, but I wanted the Barbie Corvette. Uh, I credit my superior parallel parking skills to me getting that Corvette when I was six. I owned the driveway with that Barbie Corvette. Uh, what about you? What did you really want for Christmas when you were a kid? Um, I happened to ask this question around the office uh, over the last several days, and I found out some really fun gifts that people on staff here really wanted. Uh, Betsy really wanted a bike. It was a 10-speed, and I forget the brand. I'm guessing that's not it, but it was, it was a Schwinn, a Schwinn 10-speed. Uh, after the, I think uh, the next one is a Samurai Sword. Yeah, Samurai, the <laughs> Samurai Sword, it was a TV show from like 1994. It only had one season. Our, our, our youth pastor really wanted that. Uh, someone, a couple of people really wanted American Girl dolls. Uh, the classic dolls, uh, both Emily and Hannah both wanted those. They didn't know they both wanted those when they were a kid. Uh, so many different things that came up when people were thinking through what they really wanted. Um, I heard a chatty Kathy. 
Chatty Cathy doll. Yeah, some of you. <laughs> By the way, all of these toys are vintage. Uh, even the ones that, that I wanted, which I was kind of stunned by. Even the toys I wanted were vintage now. Uh, some people really wanted, um, I think Pastor Ross wanted a boom box when he was a kid. Uh, Reverend Skipper really wanted a Hot Wheels race car track. Um, so many different things that people really wanted when they were a kid. Uh, how about you? What did you really, really want? What did you really want when you were a kid? Uh, what did you really want? What do you really want now? What's on your list? Um, at Christmas, a part of how we celebrate is through the giving of gifts. Uh, but what makes a gift a really good gift? Is it just that it's on our list? Um, is, it, is, it that, is that what makes it good? Is, that the, is, it, is it the thought that counts? Or, or is that something that we tell people who are really bad at giving gifts? Oh, it's, it's, it's the thought that counts. It's like the Christmas version of bless your heart. Uh, <laughs> uh, is it the cost of the gift that counts? Uh, my friends who are parents say that their kids almost seem like to, to like to play with the boxes more than the gift that came in them. So, so maybe it's not how expensive the gift is. What makes a gift a really good gift? In the first Christmas, there are gifts exchanged, and our practice of giving gifts actually comes back to this very story. And I think there's something about the first Christmas gift exchange that tells us something not only about the practice of giving gifts, but also what truly makes for a good gift. So hear the word of the Lord from Matthew chapter 2 um, and Isaiah 55. And we'll start in Matthew chapter 2, picking up in verse 10. When they, the wise men, saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And coming into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. And now Isaiah 55. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing. And all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the brier shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall never be cut off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So if you've been tracking the story so far, the wise men have traveled, or the wise guys, which I can't think of that without thinking of the mafia, but the wise men <laughs> have traveled from the east. Uh, these wise men were pagan priests and astronomers and astrologers. They're a group of people who essentially interpret the movement of the stars and the planets and the moon and the sun in order to tell them what the gods, the gods, capital G, or sorry, lowercase g, plural, what the gods are up to. Uh, and they've served under several kings throughout the ancient Near East. And we first learn of them First learn of them in our Old Testament scriptures because multiple empires ago, they were supervised by a kid named Daniel. Daniel is one of the prophets that we learn about in the Old Testament scriptures. Daniel at the time was a young but incredibly wise kid who ended up exiled to the king's court in Babylon. And because Daniel and his friends were not only just as wise as the wise men of Babylon, but 10 times, 10 times wiser than all of the wise men of Babylon, they are remembered by the wise men. But Daniel and his friends weren't just memorable because they were wiser than the other wise men. There's a couple stories that go along with that. One day, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and it terrified him to his core he lost his sleep, the text says. He wasn't even able to sleep for wanting to know the answer and the interpretation of this dream. 
And the people who were supposed to provide answers were the wise men. But the wise men had no wisdom, it says in Daniel 2. It's a bit of a rhetorical pun in the scriptures. The wise men had no wisdom, the text says. This was the first you had one job in history. Uh, (laughs) One job, be wise, that's your job. (laughs) And the king gets so angry with them, so angry with them that he threatens to kill all of the wise men. He sends his army to round up all of the wise men in his empire And as his army is rounding them all up, Daniel asks for time with the king. And when his request is granted, Daniel goes to the king and interprets his dream without even having to hear the dream. Daniel interprets the dream, the wisdom of Daniel, and more importantly, the wisdom of Daniel's God stunned the entire kingdom. But not only did it stun the kingdom, it saved the wise men's lives. It quite literally saves their lives from Nebuchadnezzar's murderous rage. And hundreds of years later, when these same pagan priests and astronomers and astrologers are staring at the stars one night, they notice something unusual. They see a star that somehow indicates that the king of the Jews has been born. And they set out in search of this king. And over, after hundreds of miles of travel through the desert, they finally make it to the home where Jesus, Mary, and Joseph are staying, and they are thrilled. Our text says they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. The super rough and literal translation is that they rejoiced with very much great joy. Kind of clunky, but it kind of sends the point home. They were thrilled. Now, as Matthew, the writer of this gospel, tells the story, he says that that in the moment they see the child, they literally fall down. They fall down on their knees and they worship him or they revere him. They pay homage to him. They prostrate themselves before him and they receive him. They welcome him gladly and respectfully. When they see the king that the stars led them to cooing in his mother's arms, they fall to their knees and they worship him. And while I doubt that they would be able to pass a classist theology exam or, or they, that they would be able to, they probably have to repeat the confirmation class. And they would definitely not make it out of a theology exam at Holland Christian. But I do think, I do think they know that there is something different about the God of the Jews who drew them across the desert to worship the king. Because the God of the Jews is the only God of all the gods that they've worshiped and conjured and tracked through the stars and the moon, the only God that thought enough to save them. They come to worship this God. They come in adoration of this God. They bring their gifts to this God. They not only kneel, but they present him with gifts. They offer him gold and frankincense and myrrh, the most expensive gifts they can get their hands on, the most expensive things, the most costly things they can get their hands on, they bring to this king. Just kind of like us, right? When we are so immensely grateful for something, we, um, we really want to show that gratitude. And we show that gratitude with the offering of gifts. I think that's one of the things that makes a gift a really good gift is when it comes from this place of genuine gratitude, genuine gratitude. Now, these are very expensive gifts. If you're searching for gifts for someone, gifts that say you spent a lot, gold, 
frankincense and myrrh definitely send that message. It's like buying someone a car uh, at Christmas without them knowing about it. Don't do that. Um, I always see those commercials and I'm like, whose spouse is happy with that? (laughs) It's like a a gift that comes in that little blue box from Tiffany's. It just screams, I paid a lot for this. But there's something more happening with these gifts than just how much they cost. We see these gifts come up in the scriptures. Uh, Gold was commonly uh, gifted to kings. Remember, the queen of Sheba brings gold to King Solomon. Uh, We read about that in 1 Kings chapter 10. She brings gold and spices. Uh, Frankincense was also often um, referred to in the scriptures. It was often offered to God alongside sacrifices in the temple. Uh, We read about this in Exodus 30 um, and also in Leviticus, uh, Leviticus chapter 2. Uh, myrrh was often used to anoint people or objects for temple use. Uh, we see myrrh being used to anoint the utensils and the tables and the altars uh, in the temple, but not just the objects of the temple, the temple itself. The temple is anointed with, with a special anointing oil made from myrrh. Uh, and not just those who serve the temple, not just those who, not just the temple, but also those who serve the temple. The priests themselves uh, are consecrated with myrrh. A Christian intellectual tradition looked at the scriptures, both the Old Testament scriptures that we've been looking at, um, and also the trajectory of Christ's life. And they said these gifts from the wise men actually help us to get a better picture of who Christ is. Hillary of Poitiers refers to the fact that the, the, the gold that they bring proclaims Christ as king, proclaims Christ as king. Uh, Origen says that uh, the incense proclaims him as God. Gregory of Nazianzus says that the myrrh uh, proclaims him as not only human, but the one who would die for us. The gold for his kingship, the frankincense for the reverence due his divine nature, the myrrh in addition to anointing him, also foreshadowing the mortality of his human nature. Hence, Jesus is anointed with myrrh um, as he's being buried, we read in John chapter 19. What makes the Magi's gifts really good gifts is that they don't just tell us about who they are, the Magi. They tell us specifically who Christ is. Christ is the king, their gifts proclaim. Christ is fully God, their gifts proclaim. Christ is fully human, their gifts proclaim. But there's more. One of my favorite theologians, Peter Lightheart, uh, points to yet another beautiful insight into these gifts, one that flows directly from the vision of the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is the prophet that we've been reading alongside the story of the Magi's visit. And in Isaiah, we read about the exile of God's people to Assyria and eventually to Babylon. And that moment is so catastrophic for God's people that they literally mark time with it. Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy. And at the tail end of that genealogy, he sums it up by saying, all the generations from Abraham to David were 14 generations. And from David to the exile were 14 generations. And from the exile to the birth of our Christ, 14 generations. In Isaiah, we also read about the cause of their exile, that their habitual practice of idolatry and injustice hardened their hearts and their minds to the word of the Lord. And that rather than embodying the wisdom that was supposed to draw the nations to them and their God, they not only become foolish, but they make foolish decisions. And those foolish decisions lead them right into exile. However, in the last chapters of Isaiah, we read of how God will redeem them how the suffering servant of the Lord will rescue them from sin and brokenness and shame. And in Isaiah 60, Isaiah envisions what restoration will look like. 
Isaiah envisions the restoration of Israel, that the glory of the Lord would rest upon them again. And that not only would God's glory give light to their lives, but other nations would be drawn to that light. That they would come flooding into their gates, not to oppress them, not to harm them, not to exile them, not to, not to hurt them in any way, but in search of the glory of their God, Isaiah says, in search of the light that pushes back the darkness of idolatry, sin, and brokenness and injustice in our world, in search of the light that restores humanity and human relationships, in search of the light that makes broken things and broken people whole again, in search of the light that makes creation whole again, in search of the light that changes the trajectory of people's lives and souls. And stunned by the glory of that God, stunned by the glory of that light, they'll bring gifts Isaiah says, of gold and frankincense. And with joy, they will return to their own homes, proclaiming the good news that didn't just save Israel and Judah, but that saved them too. Isaiah paints a picture of restoration that helps us to see that Christ himself is not just a gift, but the gift to the world. When Matthew tells the story of Christ's birth, he includes the story of the wandering wise men. He's the only one who does so. And Matthew even takes care to detail their gifts, this little tiny detail of what they offer. And these gifts, Matthew says, are good precisely because they tell us more about the person receiving the gifts than the people giving them. Here's what I mean. Over the course of this past week, as I asked people what their most memorable Christmas presents were, um, I learned that for several people, their most memorable gift, um, their most memorable gift wasn't always their favorite Christmas gift or the most memorable Christmas gift. Uh, Sure, it was on their list. Sure, it met their desires. Sure, it may have cost a lot. But the perfect gift, the perfect gift that people described, the gifts that made their eyes light up as they were telling me about this 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years later, those perfect gifts, those perfect gifts came from people who knew them and loved them. And their gifts were an expression of their knowledge and their love. They were gifts like a fountain pen gifted by someone who knew they loved fountain pens or the bass guitar gifted by the person who knew that they loved music and playing music or the book written by someone's favorite theologian or the mandolin gifted by the mom who just knew you would love it. You could probably also think of gifts like that, gifts that that reflected the way that a person not only loved you but knew you to your core, knew you so well that they didn't even have to ask you what to get you. The best gifts, the best gifts flow from knowledge and love. At Christmas, we behold the face of the Christ child together with the Magi. But as we do, we are reminded of the God who also beholds us, of the God who crafted us in his image, of the God who made us for eternal friendship with himself of the God who knows us intimately and loves us dearly, of the God whose heart breaks when he sees us trapped in sin, death, and darkness, of the God whose wrath burns against everything that would destroy us and the rest of his creation, of the God who is moved to rescue us at all cost to himself, of the God who demonstrates all of this by taking on flesh and dwelling among us at Christmas. In the face of the Christ child, we realize that our God beholds us, looks at us, searches us, watches us, 
and comes to us. And it is precisely because he beholds us that he comes bearing the perfect gift, our salvation and our restoration. It is the perfect gift, not only because it costs a great deal, but because it says that we are known and we are loved by our God. And I think at Christmas, we are invited to not only receive this gift and to be transformed by this gift, but to also re-gift this gift. This is the one time it's okay to re-gift this gift. It's a really terrible pun, but hear me out. Uh, So (laughs) Michael Frost, he's one of my favorite writers. Uh, He is um, not British, but he's Australian, so he still sort of sounds smart. And uh, he actually says something that I think... um, that I think helps us understand what it means to re-gift the gift of Christ, but also how to re-gift that gift. He says um, that every Christian should know three stories, should be able to tell three stories. Uh, and the first story is God's story, that we should be able to, um, that we should be able to articulate God's story um, really concisely, really succinctly. We should be able to tell God's story. Uh, we should be able to articulate uh, in, in our own context why Christ is a gift to the world. But the second story, he says, is our own story, that we should know the story of God in our lives. We should know the story of God in the highs and lows, how God has changed us and shaped us and transformed us and set us on a different trajectory back toward himself. We should be able to explain how God is a gift to us. But then thirdly, he says that we should know the stories of the people in our lives who do not know Christ. We should know their story so well that we can tell it back to them. The pains, the joys, the highs, the lows, the hopes, the dreams, um, the things that people are longing for. We should know how, we should know their story so well that we should be able to tell it back to them. We should be able to articulate then how Christ is a gift to this particular person in front of us. I think Frost is onto something. I think he's onto something. Um, in fact, I think he's on to what Christmas means. I think he's on to what the incarnation means. That the incarnation is this gift, this perfectly wrapped gift of sacrificial love, but it's sacrificial love incarnate. It comes to us through an incarnate community. It comes to us through the incarnate God himself. And then that God incarnates, invites a community to incarnate his love and incarnate his presence in the world around us. It seems that the gift and the box are both important. The gift and the package it comes in are both significant. I think this is how we can become good news and share good news in an incredibly, um, incredibly particular and intimate ways that people will actually hear in ways that lead to people feeling known and loved rather than shamed and judged. I think this is the good news in a world that is lonelier than ever, more anxious than ever, more depressed than ever, more addicted than ever, more confused than ever, more hopeless and cynical than ever. Our world doesn't need more Christians with billboards and bullhorns, but Christians who show up like Jesus as love in the flesh, dwelling among people and genuinely, genuinely beholding the people in front of us with the same attentiveness with which our God beholds us. At Christmas, we get to not only receive this gift anew, but we get to re-gift it in fresh ways to the people around us. And we do it through the offer of genuine friendship with God and in God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the gift that is Christ. And we are so grateful for the joy that we have in our triune God because of Christ. 
both now and into eternity. And we are grateful for the fact that that love spills over, that joy spills over, um, because this gift is just too good to share, too good to keep to ourselves. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to share this gift with the people in our lives, but to share this gift the way that you shared it with us, by showing up and by being present and by looking and listening and by beholding people and considering them and considering them as made in the image of God. Help us to be conduits of your gift this season. In the name of Jesus Christ, we all pray. Amen. I invite you to stand and let's sing together, O come all you faithful. Brothers and sisters in Christ, may the Lord bless you and keep you. 
make the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Go in peace.